Well, if you haven't already, I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to the book of Habakkuk. I want you to say Habakkuk with me right now. Say Habakkuk. If you can say Wasmasaw, you can say Habakkuk. But I realize that some of you can't say Wasmasaw, you know. I know a few of you have been members here for quite a while and you still stumble over Wasmasaw. But we're going to be talking about Habakkuk uh, this morning. It's one of my favorite Old Testament books. And the reason is one of my favorite is because it always speaks to me where I am. I mean, this book is always a tremendous encouragement to me in my walk with the Lord, no matter where I am in my spiritual journey. You know, there are three short chapters in this book, and we're going to just take a glimpse. And that's right, it's going to be a glimpse into each of these chapters. In the first chapter, we see Habakkuk questing God, arguing with God, and all of this. In the second chapter, we see him listening to God, hearing God's voice. And then in the third chapter, we see him trusting God. We see him placing his faith and trust in God in the circumstances that he was going through. I've entitled my message, Trusting God When It Hurts. Trusting God when it hurts. Let me ask you, can you identify with that this morning? Can you identify with that? Are you dealing with hurt in your life? And, you know, I've been in the ministry long enough to know that many of you are dealing with hurt in your life right now. Maybe you've been able to paint a smile on your face, but deep down in your heart, you're hurting. And nobody might understand that but God and you. But you're hurting. Well, I just want you to know that Habakkuk is the book for you. Habakkuk is the book for you. Habakkuk confronts us with three truths that we need to understand if we're going to make it through the hurts of life. I mean, if we're going to make it through the hard times of life, there are three truths that Habakkuk confronts us with that we need to grasp, we need to understand. And the first truth is, life is filled with hurts. <laughs> I hope that's not a shock to you, because it's a fact of life. Hurts don't discriminate. They come to all of us in different shapes and sizes. And Habakkuk is going through a hurtful time. Uh, he has a burden. Uh, he begins his letter in, in verse 1, the oracle, or the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. In other words, he saw something that actually broke his heart. And this is what it was. His world all around him was falling apart, and God seemed to be doing absolutely nothing about it. His world was crumbling all around him, and God seemed to be silent, really inactive, not doing anything about it. Habakkuk lived in a day very similar to our day. It was a day of great national corruption. The nation of Judah was filled with violence, hatred, see if any of this is familiar to you, with horrible acts of evil. And you can really sense Habakkuk's distress 
when he writes these words in verses 1 through 3, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me to see iniquity and why do you idly, notice that word, idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so that the law is paralyzed, notice the law is paralyzed, ineffective, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous and justice goes forth perverted. Just listen to some of these words against violence, iniquity, destruction, violence against strife, contention. The law is paralyzed. Justice doesn't go forth. The wicked surround the righteous. Justice is perverted. You know, that was Habakkuk's world. Everything was going wrong. People were living in blatant sin. Now, this, these were the people of God. This was the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah. The people were living in blatant sin and idolatry. There was civil unrest, violence throughout the land. And those who were responsible for righting all this wrong were doing absolutely nothing about it. The courts were corrupt. Therefore, justice was not carried through. Sounds a lot like our world today, doesn't it? does to me. It sounds like the world in which we live today. Folks, it should break our hearts as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, to see what's going on in our country today. Innocent people are being assaulted in our streets because of their political or religious beliefs. Hate groups of all stripes everywhere are spewing their hatred. Mass shootings in our schools and our public places. Corruption in the highest agencies of our government. Meanness in our politics. And I could just go on and on and on. See, Habakkuk's world wasn't a whole lot different from our world today. So what does Habakkuk do? Well, he does what you would think a man of God would do. He goes to God. He goes to God. He takes this to God in prayer. He prays and prays and prays, but amazingly, there's no answer. It's as if his prayers don't get above the ceiling. It seems that God is silent as the night. So in his distress, he cries out to God, Lord, how long do I have to keep crying out to you? How long do I have to keep praying about this? When are you going to do something about the sin of our nation? Have you ever felt like that? You know, we look at our, our nation, we look at its culture. Its culture, everything seems to be going wrong. Our long-standing and cherished institutions are being destroyed, like marriage, family life, the home. People are turning away from God and His Word. Ninety percent of our churches are either plateaued, declining, or dying. Young people are leaving our churches by the droves. 
So like Habakkuk, we cry to God, God, aren't you going to do something? Aren't you going to do something? I, I don't want to leave this world to my grandchildren and my children. God, aren't you going to do something? But there's no answer. You know, this is the age-old problem of unanswered prayer. I don't know, maybe you've been praying for a loved one who's sick, maybe. And you've been praying for God's healing hand to be applied to that person's life. Maybe you've been praying for a loved one, a family member for years who's unsaved and and you want to see them come to the Lord Jesus. You want to see their lives transformed and changed. But nothing seems to happen. And you've been praying about this for a long, long time. That's the way it was for Habakkuk. Habakkuk's world was falling apart. And God seemed to do nothing. It was like God was up there in heaven with his arms folded. And he was doing absolutely nothing. Unresponsive to his situation and his problems. And Habakkuk cries out, God, don't you care? Why don't you answer? Let me me just share with you a truth that I'm sure you already know. God always answers our prayers. God always answers our prayers. But he always answers them in his way. And in his time, God always answers our prayers. But it's always in his way, not our way. A lot of times we think we know what's best. We don't. (laughs) It's always his way and in his time. Sometimes God's answer is yes, and we love that answer, don't we? We love the yes answer. We love to get it right here, you know, right now, you know. Sometimes God's answer is yes. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's wait. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer. It's just not time. It's not the best time. I'm going to do it in my time. Well, God gives Habakkuk the answer to his prayers. Look at verse 5. God says, look among the nations. Habakkuk, just look around you and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. (laughs) You know, up to this time, Habakkuk has been doing all the talking. But now God speaks. And God says, okay, Habakkuk, you, you think that I've been doing absolutely nothing. But I want you to know I've been working all along. And you will find it hard to believe when I tell you what I'm doing. And he goes on to tell him. It's quite a long passage, verses 6 through 11, but let's read it together, okay? This is what God is up to, and and this is what God wants Habakkuk to know. And he says, Habakkuk, you know, after I tell you this, you know, you aren't going to like it very much. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. 
They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than lepers, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their face uh, and their all their face forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. At their rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. You see what God tells Habakkuk? He says, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans. Now, in case you don't know who the Chaldeans were, they are the Babylonians. And they were this ruthless enemy of God's people at this time in history. And and God tells Habakkuk that they're going to sweep down into your land and they're going to destroy everything and nobody's going to be able to stop them. Nobody. God is saying, Habakkuk, I'm going to do something about the sin of Judah, and I'm going to use the Babylonians as my instrument of judgment. Well, God told Habakkuk that he wouldn't believe it, (laughs) and he didn't. Habakkuk is stunned. He really is. It's like God took a two-by-four and whacked him over the head. Habakkuk wants God to do something about the sin of the nation, but he doesn't like God's method. He doesn't like God's plan, God's instrument. You know, I think we can kind of put ourselves in Habakkuk's shoes, you know, um, and understand the shock that he's going through. If we replace the name Chaldeans with Russians or Iranians, and apply this message to our nation. If God is telling us that he's going to send the Russians, and he's going to send the Iranians, or he's going to send some rogue terrorist nation to judge the sin of America, we probably wouldn't like that plan too much either. You know, listen to Habakkuk's reply in verses 12 and 13. He says, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. For you are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow up the man more righteous than he? Now let me try to summarize what the prophet is saying to Habakkuk. Lord, you, you can't possibly mean what you are saying here. It just doesn't make sense. How can you, a holy and a righteous God, use a wicked nation like the Chaldeans, like the Babylonians, to judge us? Yes, we deserve judgment, but we aren't as bad as those guys. I mean, they are a whole lot worse than we are. See, Habakkuk wanted God to do something about the nation's sin and idolatry, 
But he didn't like God's judgment or God's instrument in carrying out his judgment. He thought that his people were just too good for that. You know, I've thought about this and I believe we see this attitude in a lot of people today. Right here at home. Who say, you know, I know I've done some bad things in my life. But I'm not as bad as those guys over there. You know, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. You know, I, I, I'm pretty good. You know, I, my, my life is pretty good compared to a lot of people today. You know, I, I'm not like those people who are shooting people and raping and murdering and, and, and all of this. I'm not like that. I, I try to live a pretty good life. You know, these people think because they aren't as bad as they could be, God's going to give them a pass. You know, when you compare yourself with other people, you might look pretty good on the outside. But when you compare yourself with a holy God, you see yourself as you really are. You know what God says about our goodness? He says it's filthy rags. God says if you gather up all of the good things that you have done all your life or ever will do and add them up, pile them all up, they will amount to filthy rags in the sight of God. See, God says your best, my best, is nothing more than filthy rags in God's sight. The standard by which God will judge us is the holy righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we all fall short of that righteousness. That's what Paul says in in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, see, the gospel says, the good news says, that only Jesus can give us this needed righteousness to spend eternity with God in heaven. It only comes through Jesus, and it becomes ours the very moment we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. So, my friend, if you're here trusting your own righteousness, it will get you nowhere. But if you're trusting the righteousness of Jesus Christ, if you're trusting his death and his resurrection on your behalf, if you're trusting him as your Savior, it will get you to heaven for all eternity. Life is filled with hurts. That's the first truth that I think Habakkuk is trying to get across to us. Life is filled with hurts. And the second thing is this. We need to hear God's voice. We need to hear from God. (laughs) Look at chapter 2, verse 1. This is what Habakkuk says. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. He's saying, I want to hear from God. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk says, I'm going to keep quiet now. (laughs) I'm going to keep my mouth shut and I'm going to listen to God for a change. 
So what does he do? He climbs up this watchtower. This watchtower was a tower that that uh, farmers would put in the middle of their fields, their vineyards and all like that so that they could look out for predators and thieves who would mess up the crop. So he says, I'm going to climb up this watchtower. Why does he do that? To get along with God. That's why. He wants to get along with God. Today we, we would call this a quiet time. Quiet time. Let me ask you a personal question. But a very important question. Do you have a quiet time? Do you? A time every day when you get along with God and his word and allow God to speak to you. Now, you don't have to climb a tower. You can have this <clears throat> quiet time any place, any time. It might be in your bedroom. It might be in your den. It might be on your porch. It might be while you're walking. It can be any place, any place. The only thing that's necessary is for you to get along with God. And Habakkuk says, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to listen to God's voice and hear what he wants me to know. You know, people ask, does God still speak today? Oh, yes, he does. He speaks to us today. He speaks to us today in this book. The written word of God. See, Jesus is the living word. The Bible, the Bible that you have in your lap, hopefully, is the written word of God. And a quiet time is just inviting God to come into your world and speak to you. That's what it is. It's just an invitation to God to come into your world and for him to speak to you through his word. People say, well, I, I don't know how to have a quiet time. Let me give you a few steps. First step, get along with God. Get away from all distractions if possible. Number two, get a Bible and a notebook. You're going to need a Bible and you're going to need a notebook. Number three, pray that the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. Through the word of God, because we can't understand anything in this book apart from the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher. So you need to pray for the Holy Spirit to speak through his word. And then pick a book and read a passage or a chapter. You know, God might just lay on your heart just a few verses, maybe just one verse. And then write down what that verse, that passage, or that chapter is saying. And then... Write down what God is saying to you. That's the key. Write down what God is saying to you. Is there a sin that I need to confess and repent of? Is there a command here that I need to obey? Is there a promise I need to claim? Is there a truth here that I need to understand? You know, that, that's the application part. And then pray for God to give you that grace to be obedient to his word. That's what a quiet time is. I hope if you aren't having one that you will begin. Well, Habakkuk has his quiet time and God speaks to Habakkuk and he, he gives him three promises that will enable him to make it through the hard times, the hurtful times. And these three truths are spelled out very, very clearly. The first truth is this. God's word is true. Back at God's word is true. My word is true. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. 
Chapter 2, verse 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision. You know, that's what God is saying to him. That's the revelation. That's the word. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Make it so plain that, that you can read, read, read the truth of, of this revelation even when you're running. Make it plain. God says to Habakkuk, I'm going to give you my word and I want you to write it down plainly. And he did. And what he wrote down is exactly what we have in this book. What he wrote down is exactly the book of Habakkuk. Now, why did God tell Habakkuk to write it down? Well, I believe, I believe with all my heart that God knew that there would be some people on this Sunday here at Wasmasol Baptist Church who needs to hear this word. That's why he wrote it down, for us, so that our lives might be changed and instructed. Now listen to what God says about his word in verse 3. He says, for still the vision or the revelation awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. Listen, God's word is true. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Now, Sometimes the promises of God's word don't come to pass immediately. Sometimes it's not God's time for it to be fulfilled, but they will come to pass in God's time. God says, my word is absolutely true and trustworthy. You can trust it. You know, life gets crazy sometimes. Sometimes things happen that we just don't understand. You know, things that just don't seem right, don't seem fair. But we can trust God's word anyway. We can trust God in that situation. Have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you can say, I'm going to trust God's word no matter what comes my way? No matter the circumstances, I'm going to believe what God says in this book. I might not understand what's happening to me. I might not understand what's happening in my world. I might not understand what happened, what's happening to my loved ones. But no matter what, I'm going to trust God. And see, God wants us to trust Him when life makes no sense. Even when life hurts. Because God has a perfect plan. If we just wait on him, if we just trust him. Well, that's the first promise. God's word's true. The second promise that he gives Habakkuk is this. God will judge sinners. God is going to judge sinners. Well, see, Habakkuk was beginning to believe that God was soft on sin. That he was just going to just let sin go. He thought that he had to kind of prod God along for him to do the right thing. But oh my friend. God will judge sin. Oh he's going to judge the sin of Judah. And he did in 586 BC. Because the Babylonians did come in. And, and just wipe that nation out. They were displaced. And God will judge the Babylonians. We don't have time to go into this. But five times. In chapter 2. We read that word, woe to him, or that phrase, woe to him. And this is a woe of judgment. Verse 6, woe to him. Verse 9, woe to him. Verse 12, woe to him. Verse 15, woe to him. Verse 19, woe to him. 
You know, don't ever think that God will not judge sin. Today, God is patient. He's giving people today time to repent. I love what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Aren't you glad God's patient? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, God is patient. And the reason God hasn't judged some people today is because he's giving them extra time to repent. But if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, don't think for a moment that because God hasn't judged you now that he's not going to do it. The mills of God grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine. God's going to judge. And then on an upbeat, <laughs> Jesus is coming again. Amen. Verse 14, it says in chapter 2, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Oh, that's going to happen, my friend, when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth to institute his millennial kingdom down here. Okay. You know, seven years prior to that, he's going to come for his saints at the rapture. And then seven years after that, he's going to come to this earth with his saints to institute his millennial reign. I've got news for you. Putin isn't going to reign. The Ayatollah isn't going to reign. Kim Jong-un isn't going to reign. Donald Trump isn't going to reign. Jesus is going to reign. He's going to reign, my friend. That's the hope. That's our future. I'm going to say, life is filled with hurts. But we need to hear God's voice. He'll speak. And then thirdly, Habakkuk wants us to know God wants us to trust Him. He wants us just to trust Him. In fact, chapter 3 of Habakkuk is really an anthem of trust in God. It's an anthem of trust in God. You know, I'm reminded of Romans chapter 10 verse 17 that says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. You see, Habakkuk has heard God's word. He's heard God's word. God has spoken to him. He's heard God's word and now he's ready to trust him. Now he's ready to trust him. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I just wished I had more faith. Get into this book. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the Bible says. Now see, how do you build your faith? By getting into God's word, reading it, studying it, obeying it, applying to your life. That's what builds faith. Now see, faith is a spiritual muscle and, and the weight that will build up that faith is the word of God. Well, Habakkuk has heard God's word. Now he's ready to put his full confidence and faith in the Lord. Notice what he says in verses 17 and 18. Remember now, just remember, the circumstances hasn't changed. The situation in his life hasn't changed. Things were still horrible. But notice he says, though the fig tree should not blossom, 
nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fall, and the ye- and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from from the foe, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You see what he's saying? My heart is fixed. I made up my mind. I'm going to trust God. My standard of living might change, but my trust in God will not. I might lose all my stuff, but I'm not going to lose my joy. Let me just ask you, my friend, what is your fig tree? What is your vineyard? What is your olive groves? What, what is your flocks? He's talking about necessities of life. He, he's talking about what he needs for survival. If Habakkuk was writing to us today, he would probably be, saying something like this, if the economy goes south, if there's no food in the supermarkets to buy, if I can't afford gas for my car, if I lose my job, if my home is foreclosed on, if the terrorists strike, I'm still going to trust God. Say, my faith is not dependent on my outward circumstances, but my faith is is dependent upon the trustworthiness of the Word of God. The trustworthiness of the Word of God. Notice how how he ends chapter 2, verse 4. He says, Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Notice those Seven words, I believe it is. The just shall live by his faith. This verse is so important that it's repeated three times in the New Testament. In the book of Romans, in the book of Galatians, and in the book of Hebrews. That's how important it is. And those seven words sum up the Christian life. The Christian life is by faith. <clears throat> the Christian life is by faith from beginning to end. We're saved by faith in Jesus, and we live by faith in Jesus. In the good times and in the bad times. When life is easy, when life is hard. When life is happy, when life is sad. When life hurts, guess what? God gives more grace. <laughs> Look what he says in chapter 3, verse 19. Chapter 3, verse 19, it says, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on my high places. When life hurts, God strengthens us to pass through those hard and difficult valleys like a sure-footed deer. We can trust God. Even when it hurts. Even when it hurts, we can trust Him. Years ago, uh, we had a family friend whose son was tragically killed when he was going through basic training in the Army. And Cindy and I, we were in seminary at the time, living in Dallas, and 
we sent his parents these words in a sympathy card by Lucy Bennett. I've never forgotten these words. And they've helped me in difficult times as well. The poem goes like this. Trust him when dark doubts assail thee. Trust him when thy strength is small. Trust him when to simply trust him seems the hardest thing of all. Folks, let's trust him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. And we thank you that you meet us where we are in life. Lord, only you know what your people are going through even today. But Lord, I pray that they would receive strength and encouragement from your word today. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.